Uh, so I, I mentioned the word temptation and we get a bigger crowd. Um, uh, it's an interesting word, um, temptation. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more in regards to what we're going to just discuss for a quick second here. Uh, any idea where you first kind of come across that word in Scripture? Where in Genesis? No. Actually, it doesn't translate to much later in Genesis, depending which translation you have, that the word tempted or temptation. And, and tempted and temptation actually appear more in the New Testament than they do in the Old Testament, which is interesting because probably two of the greatest stories that we know around temptation are both from the Old Testament, right? Think, what are the two stories? And I know I'm stealing some of my own thunder. But what are the two stories when we talk about temptation that we think about most? Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. David. And we talked about that's only because I talked about him this morning. Come on, what other one would hit you earlier than David? Pardon? Old Testament. Well, Jesus is in the Old Testament, but not namely that way. Joseph. Joseph. Potiphar's wife, right? So some of the greatest stories we think. So, temptation. So we do the definition. The act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially to evil, that kind of in enticement. Something that's tempting or can ca a cause or occasion for enticement. So it sort of lures you in and draws you in. It's we any people that like to, f besides Pastor Mark, we any people that like to fish here? You fish, you know, hey, so you put a lure on, right? And you're enticing that fish. Now, I, and the main thing with Pastor Mark is he's yet to tell me the time when he's caught a fish. But <laughs> I hear he fishes a lot, but every time I ask him how he did, I, I never hear about the... You heard about the one-armed fisherman, haven't you, Mark? You've never heard about the one-armed fisherman? They asked him how big a fish he caught. He said, oh, I caught one this big. Um... So, no, I have not heard of a fish being caught yet. That's much like my fishing. Um, <laughs> we take the other word, tempt, and again, that's that idea to entice, to do wrong, or a promise of pleasure or gain uh, when you do something, to induce to do something, to cause, to strongly incline, was tempted to call it quits. So it's that sort of urge that comes from the inside. And again, we get further definitions to try presumptuously, provoke, tempt, so it can be used in that manner. It's that idea of taking a risk. You're, you're tempting fate or you're, you're tempting your health by doing this. Um, obsolete, we don't use it very much anymore, would be that concept of a, a, a trial or a test, right? So we don't say that. So some words have an older meaning, but as time goes on, it, it, it doesn't mean that anymore. And actually, on numerous occasions in the Old Testament, when you come across that word, it's actually talking about the concept of test or, or trial. And that's why in the more, more recent translations, um, you won't see that word used as much. They'll use the word test or a trial. So in the Old Testament, one of the places that we find this word temptation is first in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy... And remember, we said the, the, the newer translations change it. So the great trials 
that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Or in the King James Version, the great temptations which thine eyes saw. So you can see that the word has changed over time. We, we wouldn't say that. Um, you know, you talk about going through a, a great trial. So maybe I know something's going on in Matt's life, and I go, Matt, how's that trial been? And he'd understand, you know, I was going through this, and you know, I made it through that. Where if we were in the back after service, and I walked up to him and said, Hey, Matt, how's that temptation going? <laughs> I might get tongues wagging and people asking, what's Matt up to? Um, but the great temptations which thine eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand, the outstretched arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. So a little bit of, of difference when we see this word. So in Hebrew, um, trials in the ESV, temptations, as we saw in the King James Version, it occurs about three times with that particular Hebrew word, and it has the idea of testing, proving a trial. It's related to a couple other words, um, which means to test, masa or to test. So we see it again in Numbers, again, Numbers 14.22, and we see in the KGV, it's, it's translated tempted, but in the ESV, it uses the word test. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and the wilderness and have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. So in, in the King James, you can see how some words change in time and have tempted me now these ten times. Well, it's not that we tempted God. So there's been a change in how the word has been used over the years. And again, we see this word used in, in um, Psalm 78, 18. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Uh, so this Psalm... Oh, I, just like, I might... Uh, no. Um, in the King James, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Uh, they stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. So this psalm's looking back to the Israelites and to when they were sick of boiled manna, fried manna, sun-baked manna, manna with tomatoes. They're just tired of manna, and they demanded some meat, and uh, they tested God uh, from all the provision that they had given to him. So test, this is a different word than temptation, this word test or tempted in the King James occurs about 34 times. And it does mean to test, to try, prove. It can mean tempt in the old-fashioned, uh, put to the proof or test, test, try. All those words would fit into it. So when they were putting God to the test, they tested God in their heart, um, meaning they were, hey, God, what about this? Um, which fits a little bit more with our English language. So this was the context for Psalm uh, 78. Now the rabble that was among them, boy, I haven't heard that word in a long time. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving 
And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, leeks and onions and the garlic. Not on my high list, but that's okay. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So they looked at God's provision and we've got to watch it. We can do this sometimes in our own lives. We look at God's provision and it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in a family with not a lot of money. And, and what don't I like, Marjorie? Stew. Oh, I hated stew for years. Oh, I could not eat stew. Because that's, they get the, you know those pot, crock pots? where they can take the 100-year-old cow and put it inside and it tastes fresh and nice because it's just sat inside. This is what they felt like towards manna. Not manna again. And they were just tired of it. And they were looking at God's provision and saying, don't want it. Give us something different. So, but when we think of temptation, a lot of times we think of temptation around Joseph. Um, so it's, it's rather, the way we think of it today is rather more, when we hear that word, it's more of a New Testament um, sort of concept. But, as I said, one of the strongest examples of temptation and how we view it today comes out of the Old Testament, comes from Joseph, right? Joseph with a coat of many colors. So we, we remember the story, right? Uh, Dad gave him this nice coat. And let's admit, Joseph was a little arrogant at times with it all, but he had this night coat, and he liked to show it off amongst his brothers, and they were a little perturbed with him. And then he started to have these dreams. He might rule over his family and, and all those things that might come his way. And you know, a little more perturbed with them. Um, I know little brothers are like this with big brothers sometimes. Right, Greg? Uh, just kidding. I know I was that way with my... That's only because Bill's here, so I was teasing him. I was this way with one of my older brothers, um, the one that's still alive, the oldest, second oldest. And um, Stephen's a great guy, but when we were younger, I idolized him. And then there was a period where I was envious and jealous of him because it just seemed like he could play any sport that he wanted. He succeeded in any schooling that he took. He managed to get all the good jobs with the good money. He won all these prizes to go to Portugal on trips for work and here and there. And so he just done all these things. And as I watched him from afar after a while, he's kind of like, stop bragging it up, brother. Because just everything seemed to turn to gold every time he touched it. Well, that's sort of where Joseph was. The brothers were just tired of hearing this. And so what did they do? We all know the story. Joseph got thrown into prison or, th- or, or sold into slavery. So we pick up the story. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought him who had brought him down there the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his egyptian master 
his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Talk about a loyal servant or hired hand that you could just leave it all and not worry about it. You got it. I can sit down and eat, be merry. I don't have to worry about anything. Bill, you looking for a hired hand like that? <laughs> just hire them. You didn't have to worry about anything. You just sit down and eat. No more plowing fields, no more lifting rocks. Just let it be. That's what Joseph was like to him. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of, my, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, he is, not, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the, there in the house, she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, then we get into her whole scheme where she gets him in trouble. Okay? So notice a few things here. From 3, 2, two through 17, um, Joseph was 17 at this time, sorry, 17 years old. What were you like at 17? And day after day, this mature woman was going after him. So when all this happened, he was 17, maybe 18 at the most. So she cast her eyes. That's the idea of to lift up, to bear up, to carry. It's related to the meaning to be taken away with or carried off with or swept away. So as she watched Joseph around the house, she cast her eyes on him. Much like what we saw with King David this morning as he saw Bathsheba bathing, he cast her eyes on her. He was carried away. Well, Potiphar's wife was carried away with Joseph. And she says, lie down with me. And when we look at the, the concept of lie with me, it's plainly, you look back into the Hebrew again and again, 
and it plainly has something to do with sexuality. So she's begging him, come to bed with me, let's have sex. And that's going on day after day. We get down to verse 8, but he refused, said to his master's wife, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph had the mindset of what was wrong from the beginning, and he set boundaries. So when we deal with temptation, a lot of times, well, no, not a lot of times, all the time it starts way before the event happens, right? So marital, marital relationships, that the people that go out and have affairs and all the rest of that, it, they just don't wake up one morning and go, oh, I think today I'm going to have an affair. Nobody I've ever counseled or talked to has ever woken up that way. They, they, it starts way back here, and you have to make your choices way back at the beginning. Probably before you're ever married is the best time to start to make those choices. And you set boundaries around yourself, and you stick to those boundaries. You understand what was right and what is right and wrong. And that's where Joseph was. He had a mindset of what was right and was wrong, and he stuck from it, and he set his boundaries. So as she approached him, he knew the answer before she asked was going to be no. And we have to do that in our lives with things that tempt us, that we know that we're weak for. We set boundaries. I remember 17. You have to set those boundaries. And that's what we have to teach our children when they're young. Set your boundaries, know what's wrong, and set them. So I've said this before. I would drive ladies home from work, but if they needed a ride, the first thing that happened was I'd call home. And this was the day before cell phone, so I'd have to call from work. Hey, Marjorie. And she knew most of the people I worked with. Debbie needs a ride home tonight because of this reason. We're leaving work, and it would be right in front of everybody. We're leaving work now. Here's where she lives. Here's my ETA to there and then to home again. People, why do you do that, Robert? It's not like Debbie's going to attack you. I said, but it gives me a solid set of boundaries. I can help Debbie out because she's getting off the same time I am. So I have compassion on her, but at the same time, it set a boundary around us. It's 10 minutes to her place, 10 minutes to my place. So I better have a very good reason if I'm 30 minutes late to getting home. And so I would do that. That was one. Now, when I worked in ministry, I set a different rule, and that was at that time I would not drive somebody of the same sex unless there was another person in the car at the same time. Um, but I set boundaries. But you learn that when you're young and you set in your mind. And that's what we need to do with temptation. And that may happen with Oh, it could be your internet. Our internet shuts off at night. So my modem actually turns the Wi-Fi off. Otherwise, I had children that would, well, I'm doing homework. No, you're not. You're playing games. Come on. I'm not stupid. <laughs> so at 11 o'clock, it would shut off. It had its disadvantages during hockey season because I'd have to run downstairs if it was going into overtime to turn it back on again. But then it would shut off at midnight again. So it went into double overtime. I was running the stairs twice. Um, but verse 9, 
How can I go and do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph also knew he knew God's will. He knew it wasn't right. Uh, Today, we need to know the word. I'm not sure what Joseph had for his understanding around that. There was obviously, when you read through the Old Testament, there was knowledge of Yahweh. There was knowledge of Jehovah. Um, We see that in various points. I'm not sure what text they had and read at the time. But he understood who God was, and he understood God's will for right and wrong. You and I today know God's will because we can go to the Word. We can read. And that's why we, 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 we spend time ourselves in the Word. That's why we teach our children, grandchildren. That's why we encourage one another so we know what is right and wrong. And in Joseph's case here, purity was a priority. And that should be in our lives too. Because don't, don't think it doesn't happen to older people or older pastors. There was an arrest in Hamilton uh, this past week, I believe it was, from a pastor of an association of churches. This is the struggle that they have inside the Southern Baptist churches in the States right now is, is this purity as a priority was missing in some places, and it's created great heartache with inside that denomination. Joseph knew priority was a purity for him. And it might not, when we talk about purity, it could be purity in how we use money, the church's money, our own money. We need to make those things a priority. Know what God's priorities are and make them our priorities. So in verse 10, we see this from Joseph. We talk about temptation. And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Joseph just refused to listen. David, when he was on the rooftop and looking down at Bathsheba, he continued to entertain that. It wasn't like, whoops, which should have been the reaction. He entertained that. And we have to watch that, that when we don't entertain ourselves on sin, we don't put ourselves in a position for that. So when sin knocks, we have a knowledge of the Word of God, or in some occasions, we can actually quote a verse again in our minds and go, okay, this is what God's Word says. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there's the concept of memorization, but there's the concept of just the knowledge of knowing what it says and understanding what God's saying to us there. So verse 12, she caught him with his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So that caught us to lay hold, seized. So she had a piece of his clothing and he's just like, you can have that. I'm getting out of here. And the fled means to escape. Sometimes running can be the best option just to leave. We have to realize that. It might be embarrassing, but sometimes just leaving a situation, not being there in the first place is the best, but sometimes leaving. So I grew up, there weren't a whole lot of Christians. And I remember one time there was a particular movie we went to, 
and it got really raunchy and it wasn't R-rated and I was absolutely shocked and, and I was the only Christian there and, and I just felt burdened that if I stay here, I really compromise my testimony for the Lord. So even though like 10 minutes in, I walked out and sat outside and waited for everybody and ate popcorn for an hour and a half by myself. And, and it, was, it was just time to leave. It was, it was a flea occasion. Like, this is just junk. And they asked me, and I said, it was junk. Well, we thought it was funny. I said, that's fine. That's, that's you. But I wasn't going to sit through that. I was more mad at myself that I wasted the $4. I think it was $4 to go. But sometimes running can be the best option. We always think of, you know, well, something spiritual happens or we get involved with something, we have to stay and fight. David, or, um, Joseph did not stay and fight and argue with her about, give me my cloak back. No, I'm not going to do He just left. And, and sometimes that's a great option for us is just to leave. 2 Timothy 2.22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So that's even what Paul said to Timothy. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. There's a little bit of the comment this morning when we talk about um, the mourning for the sin of the world around us. I have a huge question, not that I'm perfect, but I have a huge question of why do we entertain ourselves with sin? Because a lot of times we do that in some of the movies we watch. And I may step on toes here. My mom was of the age, used to drive me nuts. You'd go to church on Sunday morning, and I love my mom, and she's changed now. But she'd be down with my aunt who lived a half a mile down the country road from us. We'd come home from school and it was talking about the soap operas. And it's like, oh my goodness. Mom, that's everything you teach us not to do. <laughs> and eventually she, she kind of, well, yeah, it is, isn't it? She caught up them for a while and then, you know, she clicked it off or she'd watch The prices Right or something different. But... It's like, that's all which you've taught us not to do. So when do we stop entertaining ourselves on what God calls sin? Okay, so into the New Testament. There's lots of examples. Too many to pick from, actually. So we do our sort of word analysis. We talk about temptation, testing. It, it occurs about 20 times. It means test, trial, temptation. Uh, we're looking for the proof, or it can be a direct temptation for sin, such as in Luke. Um, can be calamity, affliction. There's different ways that it's used, and it'll be um, translated a little bit differently depending on the context. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here we get into our colorful words. So we can see no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of, of escape that you may be able to endure it. Um, so when we look at those words there, we looked at direct temptation for sin. That's the context, and that's how it, how it would be translated when you look at the word in the original. And you can see it shows up three times. No temptation, but without the temptation, and tempted. So three times in there. Sorry, I did them out of order. Overtaken. Um, 
take hold of or seize upon you, so no temptation has come upon you or seized you that is not common to men. One of the most horrid things I think that we do to ourselves sometimes is think we're in such unique positions that nobody else has ever been here before. And one of the strongest things that we can do for ourselves is to have mentors that we can talk to, especially in times like that. Because as we begin to talk with one another, we understand that as we're on this journey in life together, that we have the same issues and the same struggles. That there isn't necessarily... You know, we may have some different ones, but we're not unique in that. So some of the same things that you struggle with, I struggle with. You know, Pastor Mark would struggle with because they're common to us. So no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's just mankind or humankind, personkind, whatever they said that one time. It's mankind. It's a generic term. God is faithful. So faithful, that idea of being trustworthy, reliable when you do your word search on that one. God is trustworthy, and he will not let you be tempted, tempted with sin beyond your ability, but that the temptation, he will also provide, he'll, he'll make a way, a practice, so it's a generic term that he'll provide a way of escape. That escape means a way about, a way out, so that you're able to endure it or bear up or stand under it. So when you do your word study in that, that's what it means. So some key thoughts from that. So this is not talking about speaking of suffering trials um, in the sense people say God never gives you more than you can handle. When we talk about trials and things that come our way, the answer, that's a false doctrine. We have things that come our way with suffering and trials that we can't handle. That's the whole point of relying on God. That's the whole point, that you lean on God's strength because you, you can't handle them on your own. So here we're talking about something a little different, a whole other topic. But it's interesting to see when you, when you look at the verse beyond, so you will not be tempted for sin beyond your ability. There's a cap. The Lord will always be with us. He'll not allow us to go through a temptation for sin that we can't endure under. So the key question then comes, well, what's the way out? If he says we won't be tempted, we won't be tempted beyond our abilities and that he'll provide a way out for us so that we can bear up or stand up under it, what's the way out? Well, again, we have to go back to similar what we talked about a long time ago. You start way back at the beginning as you become a believer, you start working on these things. So part of it may be scriptural memorization. Part of it's going to be uh, prayer, making sure you're walking with God, make sure that you're walking in the Spirit in regards to that. Um, that's that concept from Ephesians 5.18 of being controlled by the Spirit. That's, being, that's feeding the new nature instead of feeding the old nature. So that's the concept of, of what we listen to, uh, what we allow ourselves to feed on in our reading, in our entertainment. Uh, we still have to reach out to unsaved people, 
but there's a caution that if all your saved friends are not believers, you may find yourself struggling in some areas. Um, that's the concept of knowing when to run. So you look at the situation, you go, my way out is to run because I don't think I can endure this any longer and I'm leaving. In avoidance. There's nothing wrong with avoidance. That's just saying, that's, if you're an alcoholic and you're still struggling with staying away from the booze, then why in the world would you ever go to a bar where, or, or, or a pub where it's really put? Why would you put yourself in that position? You avoid it, right? Same thing would be uh, those with a, a, a sexual addiction. And porn is huge. Um, the people, there's one guy in, in London, a Christian fellow, vast majority, probably 80 to 90%, he told me at one time, of his counseling is all on porn addictions with men in the churches in London. That's all he does for the most part. And it's like, you need to avoid it. So you have controls on your computer. You have controls on your phone. And you just stay away from those things Will you gain strength in learning how to overcome those things? So when we look at that verse, there are some key things for us to learn on in regards to that. Something to think on. James, and this is from the New Living, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So I adapted this from an article that Swindoll wrote for uh, Crusade, Campus Crusade, I think it is, um, James 1.14, temptation leads to sin. It always goes this way. The bait is set. So whatever the bait is and whatever the weakness might be, whether it's getting involved in something in business that's not right because you, your God is money and you might not even realize that, that I've got to earn the more money. I've got, if I had more money, or if it's sexual or whatever it might be, our inner desire is, a, a, is attracted to the bait. That's going to be the second step according to James. Sin occurs when we take the bait, when we yield to it, and the consequences, they're tragic. That's when the trap releases on us. So we have to stop it before we get to that point. So God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. And remember, that way out, begins way back here when we first become believers and we start walking this Christian life. It begins by learning some of those precious things of staying in the Word, of, of, of memorizing, of, um, of making sure that we have mentors and people around us to encourage us and that as we grow, we would do that for others. That's why I think it's so important for older men in the church to take notice of younger men in the church and younger boys to encourage them to walk the right way. Sometimes we think we're too old, but if, if you've walked this far in life and we all make mistakes, 
and we see somebody back there younger, that's why we need to be involved. Because if you think back everything that you've had to go through life, if you've had somebody who's mentored and worked with you, worked with you, you're blessed. But if you think of some of the things that you had to navigate on your own, that should encourage us to go, men and ladies, hey, I'm going to walk back here a little bit and I'm going to take someone's arm and put my arm around them and encourage them and help them walk through life. Because some of the people that come here will have great examples um, and have parents, but maybe they can't properly communicate. Right? I can say something to one of my boys a hundred times, and then he hears it from somebody else. Hey, somebody said this, you know, oh, my goodness. You don't want to bang your head against the wall. But that's probably what I was like. Maybe you were like that too. So when you look at the church and the people around here, you look for people that you can put your arm around and go, you know what? Let me walk this journey with you. Maybe they do have a great parent and you're just a, an outside encouraging voice for a, for a lady, for another younger lady, for a gentleman, for a younger man and encourage them, take an interest in them. That's going to help them so they learn some of these things of how to avoid temptation. And it doesn't take much to encourage them and spend some time. And, and you'd be surprised. I've been here long enough. Some of the men who are here, whose names have come up, that, that you've encouraged somebody. So I encourage you to keep that up and, and keep reaching back to that next generation to walk with them men with men, lady with ladies, and, and they just love it. And even, even acknowledging some of the ladies. I acknowledged them out here with the skateboard this morning, and they were all keen to tell me about the skateboard and how much they paid for it and where they got it from and what they were going to do with it. And, uh, and, and you remember stuff like that because someone took an interest in you. So staying away from temptation starts at the very beginning. You learn some of these things and then you pass it on to the next generation. So that's the word temptation from Scripture. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for examples in, in the life of Joseph and, Father, how he had committed in his heart to honor you. And he committed in his heart very at a young age and very early that he would honor you. And Father, that's the beginning of, of dealing with temptation is to honor you and commit to doing right even before the temptation presents itself. We also thank you that he gave us the example of sometimes we just need to run. So Father, as we look at the New Testament and we look at just one verse this evening, may we learn to adapt that in our own lives. All of us will have struggles in various ways. And Father, we do mourn this evening uh, for those churches that have really struggled in the past with some of these things. We, we think of churches that have had a great witness and end up in the news for the wrong reasons now. Father, may we see sin as sin. And when someone sins, may we be there to encourage them. Now, not to beat them up. It's your job to judge and to do all the rest of it. It's our judge job to encourage one another in the faith and to walk with one another. So, Father, 
Give us the courage to find younger men and women that we can mentor and encourage through life and help us to find someone older or, or, or maybe around our age that can encourage us too as we walk this journey, as we seek to be pure in heart and a testimony to the world around us of your great grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.